Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I'm your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am really excited to have a special guest today, Kimberly Sanders, LPL Senior Vice President of Strategic Wealth Services, which is a massively growing platform at LPL that we have done a lot of business with ourselves or with our clients. And I'm really excited. It's been a couple of weeks in the making. It's a great model. And I asked Kimberly to come on and really talk about why. Why are they seeing the success of the strategic wealth service model, probably one of the faster growing models that LPL has rolled out. So with that said, Kimberly, welcome to the show. Maybe give our audience a little bit of background on how you came to LPL and what you've been working on. Sure. Thank you for having me. I guess by way of background, I'm in this space. This is my space. This is my niche. It's working with advisors that are breaking away, forming their own businesses. And I've been doing this particular work for the past over 10 years. So I came from Schwab, where I launched and led their startup consulting team over there, focused on kind of that same niche of advisors. And then over time, I started to just feel this gap. There was something there that I couldn't do. I couldn't solve for a specific set of advisors. And so that's really what pulled me over to LPL and where I am now running the business line for strategic wealth services. And you're right, it is growing. It's growing really fast. So maybe for our listeners that aren't familiar, talk a little bit about exactly what strategic wealth services is, what it provides, the types of service, and then maybe go backwards a little bit and get into LPL's thought process of why do this? Why come out with this structure and this model? Perfect. So for all intents and purposes, Strategic Wealth Services is a supported independence model. So it's designed for advisors that want to own their own business. That's important. It's ownership. It's a 1099 model. They want to control all the decision-making. They want to control the culture of the firm. They want to control the direction, the strategy. They are the CEO. But they also want to offload a lot of the work that could be considered distraction. So a lot of the business management work, the operations work, anything that would take them away from servicing their clients, that's really the advisor that we're talking to now. And so the reason that I would consider strategic wealth differentiated in the marketplace, two things. One is it's the people and the other is the pricing. Kind of starting with the pricing, it's a model that allows advisors to monetize. I mentioned that they own these businesses. So at the end of the day, they can monetize, they can sell the business, they can sell a piece of the business, they can transition it to a legacy partner, but they also are allowed to monetize up front. We understand that the advisors are looking for a way to offset some of the disruption that happens with transition. So we've built that upfront transition assistance into the model. So that's a piece of the pricing. Second piece of the pricing I think that's important to advisors is the fact that they can launch these businesses with no out-of-pocket cost. So all of the transition expenses, the launch, the real estate, the furniture, the legal cost, HR, all of those elements to truly launch an entity, a brand, and a business, all of that is done through no out-of-pocket cost to the advisors. 
And then the third piece on the pricing is around making sure that it's a simplified pricing model. It's all in, it's 100% payout to the advisors with a single service fee for strategic wealth services. And that's going to be all of the people that I'm about to talk about, all of the fees, the platform fees, advisory ticket charges, the nuisance fees that we're picking up on behalf of their clients, account maintenance fees, all of kind of that ticky tacky fee business that everyone is aware of and they're trying to do their economics, they're trying to do the P&L and they can't quite get there because it's not transparent. We've bundled all of that in into a single fee. That's the piece that's difference in terms of the pricing. And I think that that's important. And usually if I don't mention it now, someone's going to ask me at the end. So I figured I'll just throw it out there right now. That's how it's priced. And then the people really, that's what makes it different. It is the focus on the interactions in the different times in an advisor's life that are going to pull them away from servicing the clients. So I think of it as the transition and the launch. So it's bringing in that interim COO, the project manager that's going to manage everything about launching that business from legal, getting the entity formed, getting all of their documents formed, their corporate governance, their partnership agreements, getting everything done there. It's benefits, it's HR, it's building out the full brand infrastructure, what marketing, the social post signage, brand logo, all of that. It's all of the real estate and the furnishing and the technology infrastructure, just making sure that office is turnkey, it's ready to walk into. So it's all of that, that launch work is covered. And then that transition team then pivots into a SWAT team focused exclusively on bringing over those assets as fast as possible so that that firm can get back to business as usual. So that's kind of one phase in which we bring all of those resources and those people together. Then the next is the day-to-day operations, the how do you run an efficient business, a lean business? How do you make sure that your clients are well-serviced? How do you make sure that your in-office admins are as effective as possible and they're spending their time face-to-face with the clients and that we're handling all of that back office? So we've got an elite strategy team, an elite service team that is there that's got case management, service professionals, client experience manager, dedicated admin resources that are an extension of that team. So that's all part of that day-to-day interaction piece. And that last piece is the strategic thoughts, like the decision-making that is happening with these advisors. Whenever a big decision needs to be made, they're leaning on their strategy team. And that's led by a business strategist, but it includes the CFO and a bookkeeper, their marketing professional, includes their HR generalist, their CTO, all of the growth consultant. That's their executive cabinet. So when they've got a question, something to think about, they're going to that team and they're working through the process with them. But then that team also pivots to be actually hands-on execution partners. So there's not best practices and white papers that are being given to these advisors and saying, hey, look, this is what you should do. Go do it. I'm going to check in later. They're actual in there. They're doing the social posts. They're doing the bookkeeping. They're running the numbers. They're bringing those reports to the advisors to have that discussion to see where can we make some changes to really increase the value of the business. They're doing the valuations for these firms. Those are the people. That's the difference in the model because you can do transitions really well. And there are other teams out there that do transitions really well. But without the rest of those resources, that value fades over time. 
I guess I wasn't short. The lot to unpack, the, right? Yeah, yeah. a lot to unpack. But that is strategic wealth services. And so, so, so let I'm me get, happy to step back if you yeah. want. <laughs> so let's get into a couple of questions because I was writing a couple of things down, and I think my listeners probably are like, "Why isn't he asking this question?" Sort of like the Howard Stern. I'm trying to be like Howard Stern. He's a great interviewer. <laughs> I'm working on it. So let's go back to the very beginning. And one of the things that I think that people are going to hold on to is no out of pocket costs. So how's that possible? You run a business, there's cost in doing that. So explain, you don't have to go into all the little details, but what does that mean as it relates to the advisor? Do they take a loan or they, what does that really actually mean? No out-of-pocket cost. There's two pieces to it. So there's the components where strategic wealth services is actually paying those costs on behalf of the advisor. And that's just part of the ongoing services. And so that's going to be the real estate project management fees. We're handling that. The lawyers, we're covering the cost of legal benefits setup. We're covering that. We're handling all the marketing expenses. So those are all part of, hey, you're committing to us. We're going to commit right back to you. We are taking that leap of faith with you and we're investing in those expenses. Where the costs might show up as in the form of a forgivable loan. So what we're doing is we're bringing in some transition assistance up front. Let's just use round numbers. We're going to give them a million dollars in transition assistance. I'm going to carve off probably 150, 200,000 of that, and I'm going to call it a startup budget. And that startup budget is going to be for things that the advisor is going to keep regardless of decisions that they make in the future. So that's the build out of their real estate. That's going to be um, their furniture. So that would be if they decided to do a launch event and they needed catering, they would use that startup budget for those things. And the rest of it, even the technology, the phones, the infrastructure, all of that strategic wealth services investment, it's just those pieces around the build out of the office space. And that's it. And I think it's important to understand and having done some of these with LPL and actually I think one of our clients was the second team to join the firm under this model, and it's actually evolved since then, which I'll want you to get into in a little bit. I think it's important to understand what an advisor is thinking is, oh, well, I am paying for it. It's just coming out of my deal. But I think it's important to understand the deal comparisons of LPL. If you go directly to LPL as a direct affiliate, when you're running your branch and all that stuff and you're paying for everything, the transition assistance is different because the model is different. So for my listeners, if you're thinking about this kind of transition, just understand that even though they're pulling out, let's call it $150,000 or $200,000 out of your transition, there's a likelihood that the TA, the transition assistance that you're getting by going into strategic wealth services is more than you would be getting if you went direct to the firm or an OSJ or something like that. So I think that's really important. I wanted to clarify that. The next piece that they're probably wondering is, yeah, but LPL is huge, and you're saying to me, I'm going to get all this elite service. How is my service any different? And also, I think that has to do with this minimum scale, minimum size of the advisors that join. I believe it's now $300 million to get in. But explain how that is different than them just plugging into LPL as an advisor firm. I think you hit on it because the model has been built and priced to keep these ratios that I'm talking about in place. So we've created a structure where these individuals are completely carved off of the rest of LPL, and they're dedicated just to the strategic wealth services firm. For example, the service team 
is made up of that client experience manager, the service professional, the supervisor, the management structure, all of those folks, the case manager, that's a pod. And that pod services 35 strategic wealth firms. When I have 36 firms, we open a new pod. So it's all been priced into the model. And you could say the same thing tends to get asked, well, what happens? Will my admin get stretched? Will my marketing professional get stretched? As you grow, do I get less and less of their time? And the answer is no, because all of the pricing is built on those ratios. So I unlock new resources as we grow the volume of the team. And those folks, they are dedicated. You have a dedicated number. You have dedicated lines, email. You have their direct contact information. They know your firm. They know they're proactive. They're working with your strategist. They're working with your marketing professional and your admin. They're all working together because they are part of a distinct community within LPL. Okay, that's great. I'm going to play devil's advocate again because I think this is the best way for my listeners and clients, potential candidates for this model to learn. Why would I want to do this versus tuck into a large OSJ, a large enterprise that says, hey, listen, come to our office. Here's your desk. Here's your offices. This is Jill. She's the assistant. If I'm a large practice, why would I want to do the strategic wealth service model versus tuck into an OSJ? And then the flip side, why, if I have that size and scale, isn't there an extra cost to doing this? So why wouldn't I just want to go direct to LPL? And the follow-up question to that is going to be, what was the thought process for LPL to decide to do something like this with you and Rich Steinmeier, Mark Cohen, all you coming together, brilliant folks. There was some genius going on there. So, <laughs> Well, I'll take that. All right. So, <laughs> You can take all, all right, the credit, by I'll the way. I'm sure Rich it. and Mark don't care. Not at all. So the first question on, on an OSJ versus doing it on their own, I think that there's an additional level of independence and brand and power that goes with these folks that are joining our model. They don't really want to be affiliated with anybody else. It is all about their brand and all of the services that we've put in place are to help them propel their brand, create their legacy, reach out to the community the way that they want to reach out. So it's all very tailored, very customized, and it's very heavy support for them to do that. And again, in some of the OSJ models, it is tapping into resources, but it's a resource that is servicing the rest of the OSJ advisors. It's not the same level of dedicated extension of your team support as strategic wealth services. So I think that that's probably the biggest reason. I think that there's another piece that's going to be cultural fit. I don't know if they would choose strategic wealth services over an OSJ. In that case, those advisors really want to look to see what are you trying to get in terms of local relationship and support? How does that fit feel? Do you want to do it on your own? Do you want to be part of something that's just a little bit bigger and has maybe a different kind of connection point? I think that's an individual advisor decision there. If you wanted to do it on your own, This is my bread and butter, right? Because when I was at Schwab, this is all we did was we helped advisors go out and do this on their own, form their own RIA. I was there giving them the advice, all the best practices. Here's the questions to ask. Here's the top four vendors for you to interview. Let me help you get through it. But they had to do all the heavy lifting. All of the expense was theirs. 
all of the decisions were theirs. All of the management of each of those vendors from HR to tech to business insurance, everything was theirs to manage. We were just there to help them do it as best they could. So I've seen the pricing. I've seen the model, the financial models there. I know what that looks like. I built those models and those pro formas. And then I built the pro formas and the models for strategic wealth services. And I will tell you, if you're building the exact same firm with Black Diamond and Salesforce, and you're also outsourcing to a CFO because you know that you need that support and you have benefits with a PEO. So all of those same kinds of pieces, if you're putting those two firms and you're building them side by side, you're probably going to be about a point or two different, maybe with strategic wealth services, because of the coordination and the bundling and all of that integrated support. Maybe. It's not going to be much, maybe a point or two. That's what I see. Every P&L that I've seen on both sides have run between 60 and 72%. That's where they net at the end of the day after all the local expenses. And so the firms, they tend to just kind of shadow each other in terms of profitability. So it's about at the end of the day, it's where do they want to spend their time? Where do they think they'll grow faster? Do we managing it all themselves or outsourcing it? I'm glad you brought up the RI piece because I was going to ask you that based on your experience. We come across advisors that are talking to somebody at Schwab. Schwab's a good firm. I have some retirement money at Schwab, but I'm not saying it's not a good firm, but they talk to these advise, these recruiters at Schwab who say, we're going to help you with everything. And it's not that difficult and all this. And I just, it just gives me a little it's bit a of anxiety because it's not really true. And I think that there's a shift in the space and I'm glad you brought up the 1%, 2%. I was just on a podcast earlier today and we were talking about the difference between owning your own RIA and tucking into a large ensemble or a corporate RIA and the spread is one, two, three points more expensive to be tucked in, to be part yeah. of strategic wealth services. But the reality is you have to figure out what you are meant to be, what's in your DNA. Most of the times, if you're a financial advisor doing this, you built a successful business because you're good at attracting client assets, not operations. My fear where I see this industry going, and maybe you agree or not agree, is that I feel like a lot of advisors are going down that path because they hear 100% payout and they don't understand what goes into it. My final point on that is really, I look at that 2 3% as an investment in your business because it's going to free up your time as the producer, as the asset gatherer to go out and find more business, which is how you're going to make more money, not by trying to save some money. And your experience agree. at Schwab, is that what you've yeah. seen? 100% agree. It's how much time can you spend growing the business, creating the culture that you want, cultivating the staff, because the staff is the key to success. You have to make sure that your people are happy as well. So it's not just about how much time do you as an owner want to spend running the business versus the asset gathering. It's how much time does your staff need to spend managing your partner versus bringing in the extra support. Those admins I talked about, they're like the admins to the admins. That's their connection. It's, you're investing not only in your own business and your own wealth, you're investing in your culture. I think that's huge. Another question that comes up with our clients when they look at, again, for those listening, you essentially start off at 100% payout, but it's really 100% top line revenue. So get away from the whole payout methodology. And then there's a bundled cost. And within that bundled cost, all these different services. So one of the pushbacks that I get, and I would love to hear your answer to this is, well, what if I don't need some of those services? Like, so CFO services. Hey, Kim, that's great, but 
I already have a great accountant. Like I don't need your CFO services. I'm just, again, playing devil advocate. Devil's what, advocate. Yeah. So I'll give you two answers. First answer is in the event that somebody feels like they really are looking at strategic wealth services and there's like one or two pieces that are really attractive, but not all of it. They can absolutely go the core route and tap into LPL business solutions to pull in some of those services that might be perfect for them and it's more limited. They're not going to be the same level of individual. It's not the same capacity. It's different, but it's still incredible marketing support. If that's really the piece that's what they're looking for, they can go and get that on their own and a la carte. So that would be for somebody who's really looking at like, hey, there's just a piece or two that I like. I would say that that's a great option. But then my example for you is Mike Ashworth. So Mike Ashworth is our number one advisor. He came over first. He's about to hit his second year on the platform did not need CFO, didn't need it, loved doing it himself. He was never had access to it, never had control before. That was just the one thing. He's like, I like the guy, but I don't need it. I'm doing it myself. I love doing it. I'm playing with my QuickBooks every day. He got great joy out of it. And so I kept pushing on Mike. I really want to make sure you're using everything that you can use. And sure enough, he gets a call one day from another advisor that says, hey, I've been watching the news about you. And I actually want to sell my business to you. So first call he makes is to the CFO that he didn't need. (laughs) And they got engaged. They brought in the M&A team. They valued the practice. And he just on the 28th closed his first acquisition. He's not even on the platform for two years. But he became heavily engaged with that CFO at that time. And I bet you he's still doing his own QuickBooks. But he realized that that CFO is more than just the accounting, more than just the bookkeeping. By the way, that wasn't a setup. I didn't use it. No, I know. It was like example. the perfect. I know, yeah, I didn't know you were going to have that story. We have a client that joined, again, the gentleman that joined, this was the second team that joined, and they're going on their second or third tuck in advisor. And I can tell you from personal experience, there was a lot of conversations about the economics and how to bring the advisor in and how to pay them and what does our economics look like and profitability. Those services are really important to have. But that was a great answer because I think that advisors sometimes don't understand that you need these things all the time. You need to be thinking about it. I just got on the phone. I was on the phone with an RIA today and they were talking about M&A and all these other things. And I said, well, who does all your books and stuff? He's like, well, he does it on a spreadsheet. I'm like, okay, but you have multi-billions of dollars in assets, multi-million dollar business and think that you're going to go get capital or you think that you're going to go do a PE deal and you're going to hand an investor a spreadsheet of your but trust you know, me. Uh, yeah, trust this, me. This is this is what our books look like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Trust me. Right. And then, well, our taxes are filed the right way. Yeah, but the way you file your taxes for your own purposes and the way an investor looks at your tax return are two different animals. So, what kind of client is not for this? Because I think, to your point with the other gentleman that called him up, LPL gets a lot of publicity with this model because it is attracting a lot of advisors supported independence. And I know that everyone's using that term, but from my experience, and I work with a lot of firms and smaller firms, larger firms, and they all want to talk about turnkey and supported. This is really, really turnkey. Everything is done in-house. You're handling real estate. You're handling all those things. The work that you've done with our clients has been great. What type of advisor is not right for this platform? It's interesting because when people ask what advisor is right for the platform, it's kind of the same issue is 
we span a really large spectrum. So you've got the advisors who are pretty much employees for life, and they know that they're interested in stepping out and owning their own business, but they need a ton of support. And when we're talking to them, they're also probably talking to another wirehouse looking at a check. That's a very real scenario for us is those advisors, they're just not quite sure they're not ready yet. So on that side of the spectrum, an advisor who doesn't want to do anything themselves, they really don't want to have to deal with hiring a maintenance firm or a shredding firm, paying their own rent. Because there are advisors that are like, even that, I just am not interested in it. I'm just not interested. If they really are at that degree, I would say that maybe a Linsco model where it's more plug and play, someone's taking care of the benefits, they're taking care of the space for you, they're handling all of those expenses. That's a better model for that advisor. And then on the flip side, you've got advisors who are really already quite fiercely independent. They know that at the end of the day, they want to own their own RIA. They've got visions of that total flexibility. If they are so far down the path and they've already started to talk to marketing agencies and HR benefits providers, and they've already done all the demos on the tech stack, they are probably going to always do more than they need to in a strategic wealth services model. So therefore, they're not going to get the value out of our model because they just simply want to touch everything. They want to do their own strategic planning. They woke up and they have an itch to scratch about being a business owner and all that is required there. So that's great. They should go open their own RIA and they're going to be perfect at it. I would say that they won't get the value out of us because they're going to do it all on their own anyway. So that's the two ends. So the last topic that I wanted to talk about, because all of the teams that come to this model are entrepreneurs for the most part. There's a level of entrepreneurship, but they're all entrepreneurs. And one of the things that's consistent in their business plan is growth through acquisition. So recruiting and acquisition, recruiting producers into the office, into their brand or into their offices and or just straight up M&A. How does your team help your strategic wealth service businesses handle those two areas? I actually love this question because it really allows us to show how the entire team works together. For example, for the tuck-ins, the ones who are just trying to attract another advisor to be part of the team and they're going to take a scrape. So the way that the team is engaged to help that advisor is it starts with the business strategist. They're in there, they're talking about the strategy. What are they trying to accomplish? Are they just looking for someone to help kind of take on some of the local expenses because they have extra space? Is it they're trying to populate the brand, hire other specialists to really kind of increase the value of the brand itself? So what's the strategy there? Then they talk, they bring in the CFO, they create some financial modeling, some structures so that they can test, all right, what makes it a win-win for us and another advisor so that we have some real-time modeling that's available. Then they're working with the marketing team. The marketing team is building a landing page for other advisors that's gated. So your clients aren't going to stumble upon it, but it's there for the other advisors that talks about their advisor value proposition. Why should you join us and not the OSJ down the street? That's that conversation that is so critical. Then they're building pitch books and they're building offer letters. So all of this is ready. They engage the tech team. So when we have another advisor join, we make sure we have an office. We make sure that all their tech is set up. So all of this is ready. Then they engage the recruiting team and the recruiting team goes out. They start making calls. We start amplifying 
this on social media. We can do it through LPL. We can do it through their own brand and saying, hey, this advisor office is open for business. Come in and let's have some conversations. So all of that is happening before even that first introduction is made. Or on the flip side, one of our recruiting friends bring somebody when the advisor has no idea that they're ready to even acquire yeah. or have somebody tuck in and we rally behind them on that side. That may have so, happened with us. I'm that may sure. have happened. <laughs> Much um, sooner than he thought. <laughs> exactly. But here they are and they're doing great and they're ready for their next one. And so then on the flip side, you've got the folks that are looking to acquire. That's a different business. Again, you're engaging with your CFO, you're engaging with your business strategist. They're bringing in the M&A team because M&A and buyer support is all part of the strategic wealth services offering access to capital at a discounted rate. Again, all part of that strategic wealth services bundle. So they're now working with figuring out what does this office look like? How are they trying to grow? Are they just trying to look as kind of succession opportunities? But then as we all know, M&A, it lives or dies on culture and fit. So it's making sure that their economics are strong, that their value proposition is strong, and that any potential seller looks at them and says, my clients are going to be really well kept here. And so it's that kind of work. And then it's the M&A team coming in and doing the valuations, structuring the deal, managing it all the way through the actual transition of the assets. And then our strategic wealth service team comes in and welcomes the advisor and their clients. That's awesome because the earlier podcast I did today, they asked me, what are the biggest mistakes that I see with firms that are trying to acquire and recruit? And my answer to them was, they're not ready. They're not ready to go engage with opportunities, whether it's recruiting or M&A, because they don't have a pitch book. They don't understand their economics to make the economics work for the recruit coming in, the new associate or a seller. They don't have offer letters. They're winging it. Oh my God, they got this opportunity. They don't know how to price it. They don't know how to sell themselves. What they typically do, the mistake I see is they tell the seller or the new recruit how smart they are and how awesome they are. Never drawing a line between why that's relevant and important to them, to the other party. Well, what does that mean? I don't care that you're smart. How does that help me and my clients? So a pitch book and all of those things and having you walk them through what they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. So I think that that's a really important piece. And it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see firms making. I get calls every week from RIAs and small independent broker dealers and OSJs at different firms. And everyone wants to buy. Everyone wants to buy. Everyone wants to recruit. And I say to them, well, why are you different? Well, we have great culture. Everyone says they have great culture. Well, we have good technology. Everybody says that. Do you have a deck that I can see? Do you have anything you can send me? Well, we'll put some stuff together. Wrong answer. Go do all that stuff and then call me. I always do a show of hands. How many folks are interested in acquisition? How many folks have spent more than $10,000 preparing for it? And all the hands come down. And so I think that's really good. I think that's really a great spot to end because that really shows that this strategic wealth service model is really more than just, hey, come over for good economics. Yeah. So much more there. This was awesome. I don't want to go too long. We can go for another hour or two, but in the interest of my attention span and maybe of my listeners, this was awesome. If a client is interested in learning more about strategic wealth services, where should they go aside from calling us and then having us introduce them to you? Where would you recommend that they go and what kind of things that they should look at? 
So they can always reach out directly to me on LinkedIn. Happy to engage that way with any kind of Q&A. But really, I'd recommend that they're going to LPL.com and they are finding the join LPL and trying to get to the local recruiter. Because those local recruiters, they really are key to their experience, the consultative sale, making sure that they're finding the right place. But then they also, as we're talking about M&A, those local recruiters, they stay engaged in that inorganic growth. So that relationship is critical. For everyone that may not understand that, so when we work with a client that we want to introduce to LPL, and we might think that strategic wealth services is the right model, but there might be a need to shift. We work with a local LPL regional recruiting director who knows all of the models, who knows the players, who knows where to go. And that person becomes your partner if you join the firm in helping you. They're not just going to get you to come in, sign on the dotted line, and you're never going to see them again. They have incentive to have quality teams in their markets that they can recruit into. So it's really important that you value what they're doing, understand what you want to be when you grow up, understand what your story is, how they're going to help you. And then the other thing, obviously, is work of the firm like ours. We're going to help and help with that whole process as well. So for those of you that are new listeners to my podcast, you can email me at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. Obviously, DM me on LinkedIn as well. And check out my Instagram account at franklarosa.elite. Don't forget to look at our YouTube channel. You can see Kimberly and I talking on our headsets. We got our Plantronics old-fashioned, old-school <laughs> headsets on. You can tell we've been in the but business a long time. we sound so good. Yes, we do sound great. So, But anyway, this was awesome. Kim, I really appreciate it very much. This was great for my listeners. I think this was the type of education I was hoping that they were going to get because there's a lot of questions out there about this. I think there's some firms out there that are trying to replicate it, but I think it's going to be a little bit tough to do that. So great. anyway. Well, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. me, Frank. Thank you very much. It was awesome. Thank you very much for being on here. And everybody else, thanks for listening and look forward to another Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa podcast coming out soon. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.